We are, have been in a series entitled Defining the Church. And as I was going through, I, I really had messages planned through next month, and I, I'm going to continue this because it is just so rich and so full. But as I was studying and praying, there was a, a shift in my spirit that, that I needed to go a different way. And, and some of this is based on how I live, and some of this is based on how you live. So basically out of our lives and out of how we respond to one another and how we respond out in the world, this really led me to it. And the reason is this, because uh, how we live makes a difference. How we live has an impact. And as we consider this, let's begin with an obvious statement that none of us is perfect. If you're perfect, you have my permission to leave. You don't need to be here. None of us is perfect. We all make mistakes. We all stumble in many ways. The Bible tells us that if we, if we claim to be without sin, then we're lying to ourselves, we're lying to other people, we're lying to God. We're not fooling anybody. None of us is perfect. So we want to admit that right up front. But by saying we're not perfect, that is not an excuse to just go off the deep end. And some people use that expression, well, nobody's perfect. It's just a way to, to just wash away anything that they're doing and to pretend as if it is not significant. Well, I'm here to tell you, folks, it is significant. What you do matters. How you respond matters. It has an impact. Remember, the, the series is Defining Church. Folks, we not only define church for people, we define Jesus for people. And so it matters how you live. It matters how you interact with people. It matters how you engage people on a day-to-day basis. Now, you may say, but pastor, doesn't the Bible say that I'm free? That Jesus died for all my sins? He's taken care of all of them. You wouldn't be the first person to come up with that. You think you're trying to outsmart God like I once tried to outsmart one of my college math teachers. It didn't work too well. I got an F in that class. You're trying to outsmart God? It's even worse. Some of you think, you know, shall I continue to sin? Because all that's going to do is make God's grace even greater. I mean, just look how bad I am. And if God's grace can cover that, then that's good. And and I I would say that that is a special kind of dumb. That really is. Um, we have been woven in with the, the play, The Wizard of Oz, that is, is over and it was successful. But listen, if that's the way you think, then how I live doesn't matter, then you need to dance around singing, If I Only Had a Brain. Because uh, seriously, it's a special kind of dumb. How you live matters. And this is what the Apostle Paul said in response to that way of thinking. Galatians 5.13, You, my brothers and sisters... We're called to be free. That is, you are free from your sin, and you are free from the ultimate penalty of your sin. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. That is, the sinful nature to go back to the old habits and the old things that I used to do. That's not why you were set free. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another humbly in love. Take that freedom that you have in Christ, and instead of using it to, uh, to, to live the high life, instead of using it to indulge yourself in what you want, what makes you happy, what makes you feel good, instead use that freedom to serve one another humbly in love. How you live matters. It matters to you. It matters to you. You know when you're living outside the will of God, don't you? 
Now, you don't have Jiminy Cricket hopping around on your shoulder trying to get you to do the right thing. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have something far better than a little cricket. You have the Holy Spirit living inside you. And the Holy Spirit does this wonderful thing. It doesn't feel wonderful at the time, but he does this wonderful thing. When we're wandering off the path and going our own way, the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin. Not to condemn us, that's what Satan does, but to convict us of sin. And that purpose, the reason he's doing that is to push us back to where he wants us to be because that's the best place for us. So if we decide to live outside of God's will, guess what? We end up losing our peace, losing our sense of security, losing our sense of being clean and in the, in the middle of God's will. And so how you live matters to you. You know who else it matters to? It matters to Jesus. How you live matters to Jesus. When you claim to be a follower of Jesus, then his reputation is on the line in your life. Is that a little scary or what? That people are going to learn who Jesus is by looking at you. Well, one of the things it makes me want to do is let me rip every Christian bumper sticker I've got off my car. I mean, maybe if I can just go incognito and not say, hey, I follow Jesus, then maybe it doesn't matter how I live. But that, you and I know that's not right. We're called to take that stand for Jesus, to boldly proclaim Jesus, but we're also called to live for Jesus. His heart is invested in you. Parents, when your children, after you've told them, warned them, pleaded with them, still go and disobey you, what does it break? Not only your rules, breaks your heart you think it's any less true with jesus when you go off and do your own thing and completely disregard his will for your life doesn't that break the heart of jesus absolutely his heart is invested in you but probably more importantly his blood was poured out for you he died for you on a cross paying the price for your sins he shed his blood for you Don't make that a small thing. Don't make that an insignificant thing. How you live matters to Jesus. It matters to you. But it also matters to your witness. How you live matters to your witness. What you do speaks far more loudly than anything you will say am i right when you say one thing and you do another what does the bible call that hypocrisy and hypocrisy is a a greek word and it comes from the theater and it means to wear a mask you wear a mask who you are on the outside is not the same as who you are on the inside well that's not the way it's supposed to be and people recognize that One of the greatest criticisms of the church is that it is full of hypocrites. On the one hand, I want to say, well, thank God that's where they need to be. On the other hand, what kind of reputation does the church have in the world if when people think about the church, their first reaction is, is full of hypocrites? 
And so how we live matters. It matters to you. It matters to Jesus. It matters to our witness out in the world. And that's true individually, but it's also true as a church. And that's what we've been talking about these last few weeks. The local body of believers is true as a church. How we live, how we respond, how we interact to one another, and how we respond to the world, it matters to our witness. What people think about the church. And this morning... This is actually a two-part series. You're getting part A, B, and C. So this will actually be four parts. I never have been good at math. This, you're getting A, B, C this morning. You're getting D next week. That's kind of the grand finale. Okay? So this is kind of a, a two-part sermon, except you're getting three-quarters of it today. Okay. And, and what I want to do this morning is I want to share with you three reasons, three truths. That's why our witness is so important in this world. And the first one is this, the unity of the church affects our witness. The unity of the church affects our witness. In John chapter 17, I want you to actually open this up if you've got your Bibles. We're going to put it on the screen for you, but I'd like you to open it up because you want uh, something to do this afternoon rather than watch basketball and NASCAR and take a nap. I know you do. Um, John chapter 17 is a tremendous, tremendous book. John chapter, or, or, or chapter. This, in this, you're going to read the prayer that Jesus prays on the night that he is going to be arrested. He is in the shadow of the cross. This is his prayer. And th- he prays it so that his disciples overhear this. Because they're involved in this prayer too. But he wants you to hear it this morning because guess what? You're involved in this prayer too. This prayer has three parts. Jesus first prays for himself. And he prays, Father, glorify me. The time has come. This is why I'm here. Glorify me. Then he prays for his immediate disciples, those who are right around him. He prays for them. And then he does this remarkable thing. He does this remarkable thing 2,000 years ago. He prays for you. Jesus prays for you. He prays for this church. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning. You may just want to put your bookmark so you can come back to this. But it's found in John chapter 17, verses 20. And we're just going to read down to 23. But this is what he prays. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you've given me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me And have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus, on the night he's been betrayed, on the night he will be arrested in the shadow of the cross, takes time to pray for us. And do you notice what he's praying for us? He's praying for unity. He's praying that we would be one. Now, we see that 
But here's, this is what I want you to get this morning. He tells us why we need to be one. And this is what he says. So that the world may believe you have sent me. And then a little later, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Unity in the life of the local church is part of our testimony to the world. It matters. It matters that we stand as one. Being able to be united, be one in spite of our differences. Because what we're saying to the world is what unites us is far stronger than the things that would divide us. Let me tell you, one of my great and high privileges as pastor of Grace Fellowship, you, let me tell you two things about this church. This is the most exciting church I've ever pastored and the most frustrating. Now, don't take me wrong. It's frustrating because of the excitement. It's frustrating because of what God is doing. Because this is what God does. This is what I see. And I hope you get an opportunity to see this. When I'm out there in the gathering space or when I'm standing here and looking out, I can see something that many of you probably can't see. I can see diversity. I see faces that are different colors. I see people that I know come from totally different backgrounds. When we first started Grace Fellowship, uh, someone came and did an interview with us in the paper, and, and I kind of told this jokingly offhand, but, but it's actually truer than I probably want to admit. I said, you know, at Grace Fellowship, we're a little bit different church. We have people from two, from two different kinds of gated communities, Reynolds Plantation and the Greene County Jail. <laughs> but you know what? It's true. When we go out and we are ministering in people's lives, well, we don't go out and say, okay, we're going to minister to you here. And then we're going to leave you here. God has given us a Velcro spirit so that when we go out and we are ministering in people's lives and showing them the love and grace of God, we're not only saying, okay, we're going to do that outside the walls, then we're going to run back and we're going to huddle up together and ignore you. No, we're saying we're going out and they're sticking to us and they're coming back. They're coming back from the jail ministry. They're coming back from the pregnancy center. They're coming back from ministries that we're doing on the street. They're coming back from Habitat. They're coming back from Atlas. They are attaching to us. They're coming from the schools as we go out and we minister to them. There any time that we go out and we serve in Jesus' name and we show that we are united in Christ, that we stand shoulder to shoulder, that there's something stronger that unites us that can never break us apart, then people look at that and they there is something different about those people. And it attracts. And God's doing a great thing, and I don't think God's finished yet. 
I think in the next few years, the diversity in the life of Grace Fellowship is going to continue and it's going to get more and more and more. And I hope that what we see in Grace Fellowship is just a small fraction of what's going to happen in heaven when people of every tribe and every nation and every language are able to gather around the throne and sing praises to the Lord. Do you remember, some of you have been here long enough, you remember the article in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution about Green County. How many of you remember that article? Okay, maybe you had not been around as long as I thought you had. It was not a very positive article. It pretty much slammed Green County. It said that Green County was divided and would never be together. It said that the things that divided them were so great and so vast that there's no way we could ever bridge that gap. I long for the day when they're beating a path down to Greene County from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and says, what's different here? Why is this different? And you know what I'm going to tell them? It's because of Jesus. Because the thing that unites us, the one that unites us, is far greater than anything that could ever break us apart. The unity of the church, it impacts our witness. It affects our witness The second truth is that our our love in the church, that also affects our witness. Our love in the church also affects our witness. This is what Jesus said in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is rather repetitious in this verse, isn't he? He's doing it for a purpose. He wants us to get the message. And the message is love one another. Some of you got it. You see, it took him all that reputation to get it down to you. Unity that we talked about in the church would be absolutely impossible without love in the church. A church will never be unified if there's not love in the church. Some of you have been part, at times in your lives, of churches that were rather loveless. And they're pretty easy to recognize because a loveless church is a breeding ground for things like gossip and backbiting, slander, grumbling, complaining. A loveless church breaks up into groups, into cliques, and they begin to defend their territory, and and they can defend them tenaciously like a pit bull. A loveless church is filled with selfish people. True servants are hard to find in a loveless church. A loveless church is filled with self-willed people. People who say, I'm going to have my own way. I don't care. A loveless church, it's a revolving door for pastors. And they leave as wounded people. And they leave frequently. A loveless church is devoid of grace and full of hypocrisy. Some of you know this all too well. You've been there and you have the scars to prove it. But there is a different kind of church. A church that's filled with love. That kind of church radiates joy, it radiates, it overflows with compassion, it embraces people regardless of their faults and failures, their backgrounds, their histories. 
It just loves people because God loves people. It desires to see people who don't know Jesus come to know him and desires to see those people who do know Jesus grow up to be more like him. A loving church serves. A loving church gives. A loving church worships out of the overflow of the heart. And a loving church is full of thanksgiving. You see, isn't there a huge difference? You go out now. Let's think about this. Here, here you are. I've encouraged you to go out and invite someone, friends, families, coworkers, fellow students, whomever it might be, to invite someone to come and worship with you next Sunday. If you were part of a loveless church, are you going to do that? No. It's like, it, I go to this church, but nobody likes me. Or they like me, but they don't like other people. Or, no, you're not going to invite them because you're afraid that that lovelessness is going to spill over into their lives, and that's going to look bad for you. Dude, what kind of church do you go to? But if we have a church that is permeated by love, you want to invite your friends to that? Absolutely. Come see what I'm a part of. Come see the difference that Jesus makes. Here's a people who are together as one. Here's a people who love one another. And Jesus said, listen, people will know that you're my disciples because you love one another. Now, I want to warn you, it doesn't always come easy. Because not everybody's easy to love. And and I'll, I'll stand in the front of that line. There are days, folks, I'm not easy to love. But that's no excuse not to love me. And there are going to be days that you're not easy to love. But that's no excuse for me not to love you. Love, the Bible says, covers a multitude of sins. In other words, love overlooks a lot. Because that's just what love is. It doesn't excuse the sin. It just doesn't attack you because of it. And so... If we want to have a positive witness, then being a united church, being a loving church is important. But the third truth is this. The influence of the church affects our witness. Our influence out in the community affects our witness. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. Now, he can tell us that because Jesus is the light of the world. And what he's saying is, okay, I've got my blazing torch of glory, and I'm going to light your candle. Now, I'm the light of the world. I'm telling you, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light, lamp, a light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, you are to be an influencer in the world. You're not to hide your light. I mean, it'd be kind of silly. You have, let's say you decide to have a dinner party, and you invite a group of two or three couples to come over to your house, and, and you get ready to have dinner, and all of a sudden, you go over to your light bulbs, and you've got this sack, and you just tie it over all your light bulbs. What, what are you doing? It doesn't make sense. We can't, we can't see anything. 
You say you've prepared a lovely dinner for us, but we can't see it. We can't even find our way to eat it. No, 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 no. If you want to show off that table, if you want to show them how beautiful that food is, if you want to entice them, you you turn the lights on. You don't cover the lights up. It makes no sense. We understand that. We're we're, We're smart people. The purpose for the light is to shine. And the purpose for the light of the world is to shine. And Jesus has lit us up so that we might shine. Now, when we shine, what we're not saying is, hey, look at me. Look at how good I am. Look at all the good things that I've done. Look at the money I'm putting in offerings. Look at how big a philanthropist I am. Just look at me. I'm so good. No, we don't do that. Well, I hope we don't do that because that too would be a special kind of dumb. Now, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify you? No, your Father in heaven. In other words, the things that we do when we serve others point upward. They brag on God. They brag on what He can do and what He's already done in our lives. When you saw the the video earlier um, on North American Missions, their theme being whatever it takes, that was kind of our unofficial theme as a church when we formed, whatever it takes. We want to do whatever it takes to reach people. And we had no problem getting outside the walls of the church because for the first three years, we didn't have any walls. We didn't have this building. And so getting outside the walls is kind of natural for us. But we didn't want to do it just as a have to. We wanted to get outside the walls as a want to. We didn't want to, uh, my dad used to love to watch old westerns, and uh, I, I kind of grew to appreciate those a little bit. But you remember, you remember sometimes, uh, they, maybe at Bonanza or whatever it is, they, they, they'd go out on the front porch, there's this triangle, and you'd take this metal stick and you'd kind of bang on, you know, kind of go around the inside of the triangle, ding, 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 supper time, come and get it. Well, that's kind of the attitude that a lot of churches have. They need to go ahead and put a triangle outside and start, start dinging on that and say, come and get it, come and get it, it's ready, Jesus is here, come get him. I don't think that works too well. Maybe one time it did, but not now. If you want to find people who need Jesus, I, wanna, I might suggest that you leave the building. Go where they are. Rub elbows with other people. Engage them in conversation. Serve them. You see, light shines brightest in the darkness. Go home today, middle of the day with all the lights on the house and maybe the sun will come out, who knows, today. Turn on a flashlight. Well, that seems kind of ridiculous. I don't need a flashlight. I can see perfectly fine, thank you. But tonight, go outside, take that same flashlight and turn it on. Wow, what a difference it makes. Let your light shine in the darkness, not so people will see you and be impressed, but so that they may see your good deeds, turn their heads up heavenward and say, God did that. Now, it's always appropriate. It's always appropriate to do good things because good things need to be done. 
But as Christians, we have a higher calling. We need to let people know why we're doing it. We're not only serving other people. We want to serve other people and at the same time share the good news of Jesus Christ. Because here's what we're going to tell them. Listen, I am here today to serve you. We may not say this verbally. I am here today to serve you. I'm here today to feed you this meal. I'm here to give you this coat on a cold night. I'm here to give you this gas card because you've got to get to work and you're running flat on empty. Or maybe you're going to a a job interview and you've got to get there. I'm here to pay your power bill because we don't want your kids to be cold. I'm giving this to you for a reason. It's because God loves you and, and because I love you. But you know there's a greater gift that God has given. And that gift is His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's what gives me meaning and purpose in my life. And I think it would bring meaning and purpose in your life. And you begin to share a very simple gospel. You say, I don't know how to do that. Sure you do. You saw Noah stand on this step two weeks ago and say, Jesus died for me and I love him very much. After that testimony, do you want? I had two people come up to me afterwards and says, I need to be baptized. It doesn't have to be some Billy Graham sermon. You know, I guess you could just carry your, your, your iPod and, and you tell them a little bit about Jesus and then put the headphones on them and play just as I am and, and hope they fall to their knees. It doesn't have to be anything like that. It's real simple. And it, it, a real simple testimony. I was lost, and I had no meaning and purpose in my life. And then I had an encounter with Jesus. He spoke to my heart. I understand. I understood that what he said was true, that he truly did die for me on a cross. He paid the price for my sins. He wants to save me. Not only give me a home in heaven, but be with me all throughout my life and help me and and, and love on me and encourage me. And the way I received him was not by impressing him with my good looks, but by simply coming and confessing that I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. And Jesus saved me. I didn't do it. He did it. And from that point on, I began to live for him. Now, I didn't do it perfectly. You know me. I didn't do it perfectly. But I'm committed each and every day to being more and more like Jesus in my attitudes and my actions. I'm committed to following him every day. Would you like to follow him too? See, it's not that hard, is it? Actually, it's pretty simple. We have to get over that speed bump. We have to get over that hump and be willing to tell people why we're doing the good things that we do. It's for him. It's because he loves us and he wants us to love other people and share with them the good news that we found in Jesus. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to put a book, bookmark right there because next week we're going to come and finish up the sermon. Now, some of you are saying, Pastor, you just invited me or in- encouraged me to invite people to come next week. And what you're saying is they're going to get one-fourth of your sermon. Next week, I'm so excited about next week. Next week, next week we're going to talk about transformation, life change.
and how that affects our witness. And I can't wait until next week. Well, I, I guess I'll have to, but this is, seriously, for you, you're going, yeah, sure, sure. I'm telling you, I am amped up. And if I could thought I could get you to sit here for the rest of it, I'd give it to you today. It is, it is, you and I have a, a way that we can radically impact this world. But we have to think about it. We have to be intentional about it. The unity in this church affects our witness. It affects what people think about Jesus. It affects what people think about church. The love that we have in this church, it affects what people think about Jesus. It affects what people think about his church. And how we serve the world, interact with the world, engage the world, that affects our witness. What does that say to the world? Think about that. Pray about that this week. Some of you, some of you may have just heard the gospel this morning for the first time. You didn't realize it's so simple. What you thought the gospel was is, hey, show up at church and I'm good. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus died for your sins and rose again on the third day and opened up the ways of life for all who believe in him. That's the gospel. Some of you may be ready to take that step today and receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. There is no better day. This is a perfect day to do it. In fact, this may be the day that God has designated on his calendar. This is it. Others of you may need a church family, a place to belong, This may be the day God's calling you. Come, come, be a part of the life of Grace Fellowship. Some of you may need to just come and to kneel down and use this as a holy altar. We talked last week about worship, being bowing down. You know what I heard in my grace group? Gosh, I'd love to do that, and I feel like I ought to do it sometimes, but I'm just so worried about what people will think. Well, here's what people will think. There's someone that gets it. There's someone who understands. There's someone that God's interacting in their life. That's what they'll say. They'll celebrate with you. They won't laugh at you. If you just need to come and kneel and leave something with God, today's the day for you. Whatever it is God's calling you to do, this is your moment.